don't know nobody nothing and we don't make no deals. We're swinging chips on motors and we're man-eaters on wheels. And welcome to this month's edition of Calling the Night Boys with me, Gavin. And me, Nick. So, this month's podcast is about this sports cars. I've never been in a sports car before. I'm really excited. It's not, sure, you must have been in a sports car. No, never. So, it's not about sports cars per se, it's more about driving and our relationship with cars. Oh. Now, Hopefully it's going to be a good one as I try and pull out of this slightly awkward space. Oh, listen to that. Oh, my God. So, I'm feeling a rumble in my tummy. <laughs> so, Gav, I wanted to ask you, why did you get this car? Um, well, I guess people will say it's that sort of classic midlife crisis thing. Man approaching middle age gets fast car. Mm. But... Um, I think it's just because I wanted a car and I don't really need one being in London. Mm. So I thought I'd get one that I enjoy rather than one that was intensely practical for the enjoyment of driving. I'm, okay. I'm one of those strange people who actually enjoys driving, not one of those tense, angry people you see every morning who actually thinks it's a good idea to drive to work. Right, you don't drive to work then. No, it's something I'd never do, even if uh, even if it was necessary. Which obviously it isn't in a big city with. A big you would never do it, even if it was necessary. <coughs> well, I think I would find. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, no, that's fine. I, I wouldn't run twenty miles to work, but uh, right. I think if the alternative uh, in the form of public transport or cycling was available, I'd probably do that. Okay, yeah, that's fine. And what about you? What's your what are your feelings about driving and cars? Well, when I was a kid, I only wanted to drive sports cars. Right. Okay. And then I grew up, and I started driving what I could afford, which to begin with was a Ford Fiesta of quite old vintage, and then you know practical family cars. So you were a boy racer then. Well, no, I was a boy racer in my mind because I didn't actually pass my driving test until I was 28. <laughs> right, OK. Because when I moved to London, a bit like you were saying just now, I didn't feel the need to have a car. Why, why, why bother having a car when there's the tube and the buses? Um, so I learned quite late. Um, and um, I do enjoy driving cars, actually. But recently I had a bit of a crash... When you, when you say a bit of a crash, how, how much Well, is I a smashed bit? into a lamppost. Right, that's quite a um, lot of a crash. But at, like, at low speed. It was like a low speed. I, my mind was somewhere else and I overturned this car. It was one of those hire cars, zip cars, hired by the minute or the hour cars. Was it a, uh, a low speed car chase? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. But it was still quite a shock. Yeah, I'd imagine it was. It quite was. an impact. It was, it was uh, one of those BMW electric cars, i3s. <laughs> now, you see, and it kind, I, I made, kind of, kind I made of my heart to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> I've just tried to destroy them all, so we have to go back to highly polluting engines. Yeah. Back to dirty old London. I think well, one of the things we were going to talk about was um, why people decide to get sports cars in middle age um, and how this is sometimes viewed as being a uh, slightly sad, lamentable mm. or pathetic thing. Um, and I don't necessarily see it like that, but I know it's it's often equated with the phrase midlife crisis, yeah. uh, which is a phrase that kind of annoys me now that I'm in my midlife. Yeah. And having yeah, another crisis. crisis doesn't begin to describe what I'm going through now right. now that I'm middle-aged <laughs> <laughs> state of emergency is more right okay yeah but I mean the way I see it is it's, it's also kind of an expression of freedom or, or just of uh, enjoying the pleasure of, of driving a car in its own right I think that's true I think that's what they're sold on isn't it 
Um, but it's also difficult to define what exactly that pleasure and that excitement is is all about. Um, is it just about the aesthetics of driving uh, a beautifully designed bit of machinery? Mm. Or um, is it about the joy of being able to go very, very fast, which uh, admittedly is denied to anybody who lives in a large city? Yeah. Um, well, we weren't driving fast in your car, were we? No, well, there's quite a lot of speed bumps involved. So yeah. um, I think most uh, most Greater London boroughs are quite fond of speed bumps. They love them. Yeah. They absolutely love them. And My, to be honest, you know, kill the speed rather than the child. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I see that as like an optional thing, so I'll like kill my speed and then later I'll kill the child. Right, okay. It's an either or. Yeah, yeah, well, well it's just, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, but, but, it's, but it's not, I mean, going back to the, the sort of midlife crisis um, thing, mm. it's, uh, I don't think it's necessarily about recovering youth driving a car, remembering no. what you were like when you were a teenager and got your first... Mm. Uh, Mark One Ford Escort or whatever it was. Mm. Um, it's it's almost about getting back a measure of control, not not in a sort of Brexiteering sense, um, but <laughs> control over your sensible, dull, responsible it, life. It is in a Brexiteering sense, <laughs> <if you> like. um, <clears throat> but also about letting go of control, uh, not being sensible anymore, and just enjoying things for their own sake. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that that idea of freedom, that that sort of. Um, I mean, I wasn't around in the 1950s, obviously, mm. but um, car adverts from the, the 50s, you know, the, the birth of advertising oh, yeah. as we know it now, at, until now. Particularly um, in America, obviously. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, that's, that's what they were all about, right? But also, uh, at some point, and I don't know when this happened, kind of about getting laid as well. You were. Um, yeah. I'm thinking specifically of uh, the Renault Clio ads in the, right. in the early 90s yes. featuring uh, characters of Nicole and Papa Nicole Papa yeah but Papa he had his own lady and she had her young uh, her young man I thought it was very exciting okay so it's a I mean I was about trois. 17 at the time but I just thought I just thought yes that's the kind of life I want to live I want to be scooting around Provencal villages in a tiny car because you know because um, I'm young and a bit funky I'm going to wait until I have my Mercedes Maybach <laughs> when I'm old and I have I have to have people on hand to lance my boils I still hold a candle to Nicole's we should probably explain who Nicole and Papa are, uh, were yeah. um, so this is the Renault Clio ads in the early 90s uh, and you had the slightly bizarre situation of a father and a daughter, both with their own Renault Clios, mm. both essentially going out on the pool in their yeah. cars and sort of trying to hide it from each other. Yeah, um, but they, they knew what was going on. They're very um, very modern family, yeah. although no, no sign of the mother, I noticed. Um, the mother, unfortunately, was thrown off the Gorge de Verdun. Is, is That's that, it, was, she's gone. Was that established in... in yeah. The, Okay. Yeah, that's part of the. That's part of the. Um, You're not creating your own backstory. No, that's it? part of the fan fiction. <laughs> okay. And I I've was, written a lot of fan fiction. It's just the Nicole and Papa, uh, Papa um, sort of extended universe. Strangely, it didn't feel seedy that this was going on. It seems no, somehow charming. But it's not um, seedy because she's got her own man. That's fine. Right. Okay. I mean, it's okay to have lovers when... I mean, she's definitely over 16, right? She's sure, like, and he she's, was... She he may be under 20, but... He wasn't going to see his, his mistress in the uh, in the sort of uh, time-honoured French fashion. Of, I mean, uh, can you imagine if they did a René Cléo ad, right? Where Nicole and Papa... Nicole's like, what, maybe 10? Papa just drives up in front of a house, goes in for a while, comes back out. And she's falling asleep and she goes... Papa, Nicole, you know it just doesn't work, does it? Yeah, well, it's that, easy. That he wouldn't be um, he wouldn't be performing his duties as a as a father very well. In that, no, in that no, you can see he's performed his duties and he's letting her off the leash. Uh, um, you know, post sixteen, and that's good for him and good for her. A more contemporary ad about a car manufacturer that uh, you yourself have patronised quite recently yeah. with the, the Seat. I 
what's brilliant about this say it advert is that it's a perfect example of how capitalism is working right now. What's the catchphrase of the ad? Remind me. Because then, us. Right. Right. Because then, long pause. Us. Uh, us. Right. And the idea is that you have people who are like working nine to five, come out of their workplace and it's raining, and then you have people who are fox hunting, and then you have people who are generally very diverse and of indeterminate sexuality. Right. Um, Walking across a bridge and then getting in their car, which is a Sayat. Right. The idea is that if you buy a Sayat, you're not like those rubbish people you're, you're not, not like you're, them you're not you're rubbish us. yeah okay say actually it's basically the future right which again goes back to the 1950s it's one of the most horrendous adverts i've ever seen in my life i i should say at this point as well this is um the car you bought say at leon yeah is so when i went out bought... <laughs> no hang on a minute but this is uh <laughs> It's important well, distinction. I, I saw that advert and I thought, yes. Because this is... A, it's a I'm not them, I'm us. This, it's a coupe, I think, or a saloon. It's, uh, it's, it, no, it's a... It's no, sort of medium-sized It's a hatchback. It's, it's a big hatchback. Okay. Okay. Um, it's a big hatchback. The, the, it's like the Golf. It's like a Golf. The, the Sayet, um Because Them Us advert is for an SUV, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, so it's... And it's... Maybe it's a hybrid. It's certainly not an electric car. No, well, I don't know. To, when they first started doing it, it was just like, because they must right. drive everything with okay. your casual car, yeah. it's fine. Uh, but essentially, it's a big gas guzzler, um, mm. which may or may not have an electric motor, which sort of excuses you driving a car that's yeah. too large and yeah. um, drinks a lot of fuel. But it's okay, because you've um, got a black friend who's got um, quite crazy hair. It's well, funny. and... Because you're in an urban environment, you're only driving yeah. 20 miles an hour anyway. Exactly, so it's fine. It's probably on the electric. And motor, you know, one of them, one one of one of those people in the car, they've just hopped out to edit a music video. It's fine. Cool. So yeah. you're making quite a dull car seem yeah. quite sexy and aspirational, yeah. right? Which is what car advertising is That's what all about, I guess. Yeah. Those people in the ad, they're representing that Kerouac kind of freedom ideal. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, they've totally taken, they've totally tra- transmogrified the Kerouac idea. Because Kerouac, Kerouac didn't have a car. That's the idea that he very rarely had a car. Sure. You know, they were mostly hitching. The fox hunting thing. Mm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of fox hunting. No, I don't. Um, I, I would even say I'm fairly anti-fox hunting. I'm against fox hunting because I don't want rich people to have fun. Okay. You've taken a slightly different tack to the one I was going to take. Yeah, yeah. That's a, quite an interesting one. No, go for it. Please. But it just strikes me that the them, who are the fox hunters, yeah. who are uh, on horseback, are somewhat more environmentally friendly than the, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, the exactly. SUV drivers, <laughs> yes, who are the us. Right. Uh, <laughs> sports car in this MG, I get a sort of hot smell. It's like hot leather. Yeah, well, you're, you're a lot closer to the engine as well. It's like yeah, literally just in front yeah. of your legs. Um, that's what, that's, maybe that's what I'm feeling, smelling. And there's sort of a slightly hot plasticky smell, hot solder smell. Yeah, that would be the 70s vinyl seats. Which, um, right. I like it. My memories of uh, driving when I was a kid in summer is burning your legs on the hot vinyl seats in the Yeah, my, my mum had a Citroen ME8, which was like a less glamorous version of the 2CV. Right. And less glamorous than the 2CV. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a really stuff. poor car. And we go down to Brighton Beach on a hot day, and then our legs would basically get sort of... Is it third... How serious are the degree burns? Third, degree third, burns. third is the worst, I think. Yeah, so like first degree burns, plastic burns on my legs from the uh, from the car. Yeah, happy days. And um, yeah, it was good old days. So she, we'd have to throw, we have to wet towels and then throw them down. Only things like Jags and Bentleys had leather seats back then. Do, do you enjoy driving? I love driving. Okay, unless it's. Unless it's very bad traffic. 
Mm -hmm. I love driving. If it's reasonable traffic, I still love it. And what I like to do is I like to put music on. Right. So I think music and driving go together very well. They both create powerful emotions. And um, well, I, I listen to albums that I can't listen here here because they've got cuss words on. Okay. So if I'm on my own driving, I'll listen to a bit of right because the dogs hate the rap. swearing, don't they? They do. They hate swearing. <laughs> and um, I listen to the rap and the hippity hop. Right. I also listen to things that Is are that totally with your out. windows down and the bass, yeah, bass yeah, tube damn right. thumping Except in the boot? There's no bass. It's really tinny. Right. It's absolutely okay. tinny. It's like, it's like when a really scowl-faced kid comes onto the bus with his playing hip-hop out of his phone. <laughs> okay, and his phone's yeah. quite old. That's what it's like when I'm driving. So sort of maximum irritation, but minimum mm. cool. Uh, so, yeah, or I listen to difficult albums. Like uh, Captain Beefheart. The camel wore a nighty. Or um, the Royal Trucks Twin Infinitives. It must be, uh, I'd like to see the expression on the faces of other drivers when you're struck in a, uh, stuck in a traffic jam listening to a trout mask replica. Uh, <laughs> they, people must think, so who is this freak? That's what I'm looking for. evoke driving or talk about driving um, Beach Boys uh, did, did it quite a bit in the 60s yeah um, very good fun 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 really just songs about having a flash car and um, pissing about in yeah. California and having a good time until daddy takes the T-bird away well you um, know but that, that is true that is true about driving mm. they're absolutely being true about driving when you're young and you're driving yeah. and you don't care it's Unless just about the... driving to the beach and yeah, having a good time and then um, going out. It's that first taste of adulthood, but mm. at the same time, it, it's sort of alloyed with that fact that yeah. it's only at your parents' indulgence. Yeah, Because it's true. probably their car, or they yes. bought you the car, but <laughs> they, they, they maybe dangle it over you as something to be taken away if you yeah. misbehave. The other one I wanted to talk about um, is Jimi Hendrix, right. um, Driving South. <laughs> Which, which is a completely different story. It's nothing to do with uh, sort of like teenage What teenage is it about? Frolicking. As far as I know, it's about driving south, but quite I'm quickly. So glad you're here. It's it's one of the few songs about driving, which uh, actually evokes the sort of feeling of driving through That's the music. There's no it's, it's an instrumental, so there's there's no lyrics to tell you how the person's feeling about driving. It's not like Chris Rea driving home for Christmas. Uh, it's road to hell. No, indeed. Yeah. Um, the, the two being quite closely linked, I think. It's really just a, a song that kind of gives you that feeling of energy. That it, it's difficult to say what the song's about because there's no lyrics, but it, it's just um, pure it's a wonderful song. energy. Different sort of thing, but also like something that sort of evokes the, the feeling of driving the Eagles. Right. Deeply unfashionable band. Um, I don't know this song. Well, there's, you know Hotel California? Well, I think Hotel California is kind of about driving. It's about sort of driving through the night okay. um, and having to you right. know, stop off and find somewhere just to spend the night, which is Hotel California, which is supposedly a metaphor for L.A. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you can't escape it because that's where okay. the music business is that's um, and that's where all the cocaine is. Yeah. Eagles also uh, wrote Life in the Fast Lane, which... I think regularly featured in Top Gear compilations of top, right. top driving songs. Um, but has become a metaphor that is used quite widely for um, you know living life to the max, basically. Yeah. Um, I'm constantly in the middle lane. Yeah, which I think should be the name of this podcast, actually. Life in the middle lane. Life in the middle lane, <laughs> yeah, exactly, fair enough. Less a song about driving, but more about sort of evoking um, a carefree lifestyle that, that yeah. sort of dri driving fast exemplifies, I, I suppose. It's about two people who just sleep around, largely with each other, right. get drunk, have a good time, 
but you can see that their relationship is heading for a precipice because right. they're, they're just about having good times and yeah. the good times come to an end. We'd go get out on the A2, but it's um, it's a bit of a, not a trek, but it's a sort of yeah. 10 minute drive to get there. So uh, I've, I have been on the A2 many times, to be fair. Uh, it's not it's not a it's not a motorway I particularly no well it's that enjoy. thing it's that thing of um, roads which are limited to 50 where everyone really wants to do 70 but yeah. feels constrained to do 50 yeah so they all go at the same speed alongside each other in three lanes which yes gets to be true. quite draining after a while it's quite nerve-wracking actually especially when you're uh, especially when you're in a small car like this yeah you're quite low down to the ground and everyone's towering yeah. above you. I quite like a van for my next car. Hey, do you want a, quite high up? If you want a van, you can have mine. Have you got a van as well? Yeah. What kind of van is it? It's a Vauxhall Combo. It's like a small van, you know, sort okay. of escort van type size. Oh, right, yeah. No, I mean something like that. Oh, I see. So you I'm high up off van. the ground. Yeah, yeah. Listeners, I just pointed to what you imagine a van looks like. So that when you tailgate people... Uh, yeah, exactly, and I flash Rather them. than getting annoyed, they get slightly intimidated. And also, I quite like the idea that Michelle and Romeo are in the back kind of wearing ski masks. <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> and there's lots of cabling on the floor on your way to do a heist. I actually do know a lot more about MGs than I would normally care to admit. Thanks to the magazine Enjoying MG. Mm. Uh, which um, I receive monthly due to my ownership of uh, my ownership, my membership of the MG Owners Club. I tend to save up this information from when I'm trapped in the company of uh, men in uh, fleece jackets with uh, oil stains <laughs> on. So let me just hand you a copy of the magazine. Oh so my god! Just have a quick look at that. That's a beautiful car. It's a white NG without a top. It's topless. Is it? And it's the centerfold as well. <laughs> it's a, it is actually the centerfold in Enjoying MG magazine. Yeah. Oh, what a stunner. Yeah. Blimey. Look at, look at the twin carbs on that. Oof. Anyway, I'm going to read you a few letters, a, some, a yes, selection please. of letters from Enjoying MG. Just give you an idea. Have you sent a letter in yourself? You should do. No, I haven't. Well, because I, I would instantly be spotted as a fraud, I think. Because this is a magazine for people who not only enjoy driving classic cars, but enjoy sort of fiddling about underneath the bonnet. And when I read some of these letters to you, I think you'll get a, a flavour of the uh, kind of person who likes to enjoy MG. The title of the letter is Streetlight Speeding. Beware. Mm. It's a very short letter. Many people don't realise the roads have streetlights on them, that the roads that have streetlights on them are generally restricted to a 30 mile per hour speed limit unless otherwise specified. So, beware. Well, that's just useful advice. Yeah, sure. I wish uh, someone had told me that before. I've just got a speeding ticket today. Oh, oh really? Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, and was and what sort of speed were you doing? Were you doing I was like doing 25 in a 20 mile an doing, hour zone. You got a speeding ticket for doing 25 yeah. miles an hour. Okay. There could have been children on that road, Nick. Well, that's true, actually. I was gunning for the kids. Right, <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Had a moment of road rage. Or maybe you just thought you'd get extra mm. points. This, this is my favourite letter. It's simply titled Tires. And the opening line is, is just perfect. Not wanting to restart the discussion about tires... <laughs> But, in the late 1950s, at a talk at Fort Dunlop, we were told that tyres could increase their circumference at 100 miles per hour by up to 4%, depending on various aspects, type of tyre wall and temperature, amongst other things. Wow. 4%. That's these, a big these, deal. these people are all enjoying yeah. energy. You name it, we've got it. Faster pussycat kills, delivers tons more than the opposition. Unladylike karate chops, ungentlemanly haymaker, spirited gymnastics, corrective table etiquette, sandbox jousting, or a muscle-bound cat wrestling with a roaring sports car that's intent upon squashing him like a grape. Let's move on to films. I think you could probably argue that films referencing cars have probably been around almost as long as films. I think itself. they have. I think it's just after the Lumiere's train coming into the station. Right, um, which scared scared the bejesus out of uh, anybody mm. in that cinema, I think, who Absolutely. thought the train was actually coming in. 
they were living life in 3D and this seemed to be 3D. Yeah. You know? You know, um, it has it has kept pace with the, the entertainment industry. Yeah. So the first film, or I'd like us to talk about, uh, is Christine, which I, I think you've seen. I have seen, a long time ago. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen it. Yeah. Maybe I'm just culling all of my information from Wikipedia. But it's right. So essentially, it's, a, it's based on a Stephen King novel, and it's about a car that is possessed and kills people, essentially. But um, it's not just any old car. It's a lovely 1950s model with chrome and fins. Right, it's bright red. Uh, and yes, we're just sort of uh, one of those cars that looks like it was sculpted rather than yeah. uh, pressed out of steel. It's a beautiful machine. And it's actually a, a, quite a scary film, this, despite the slightly ludicrous pretext. Is it? it? From what I remember, yeah, it's got a, there's yeah. a sense of real menace. Uh, okay. In it. Why that, is that a ridiculous pretext? Well, it's that whole thing of inanimate objects or machinery coming to life and having a will of their own just always seems a, a little bit far-fetched i mean i know it's a horror film and therefore you have to suspend yeah. your disbelief quite a bit i don't think you've seen this film but uh, there was a film in the mid 80s called maximum overdrive which starred emilio estevez uh, not exactly at the height of his career right where a, a, a comet passing through the Earth's atmosphere or passing close to the Earth causes all manner of mechanical and electrical things to come to life and start attacking people. It's that kind of like great. Rise of the Machines. But I'm talking about everything from electric carving knives and lawn mowers to sort of big 18-wheeler trucks developing homicidal it's really tendencies. Good for a film. And it, it wasn't just written by Stephen King, it was actually directed by him, but I think later on really? he, he, he slightly disowned it as being right. a bit too ridiculous. He thought, uh, uh, maybe The Shining is all right. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great film. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, um, but that's going to happen though, isn't it? With the Russians downloading all these viruses into domestic appliances, into your toaster, your fridge, yeah. the washing machine. Yeah, the Internet of Things is, is going to become the Internet of uh, Horror. She is seductive. She is passionate. She is possessive. She is pure. Evil. She is Christine. A 1958 Plymouth Fury. Possessed by hell. Her previous owner is not alive to warn her present one. Once she lures you behind the wheel, you will be hers, body and soul. There is no place you can hide, no place you can run, and nothing you can do can stop her. Because how do you kill something that can't possibly be alive? Christine, body by Plymouth, soul by Satan. Well, let, let's move away from scariness to um, comedy, is the only way I can describe it. Uh, smoking the Bandit. Is that comedy? Um, I think it is. It's a type it of is comedy. intentionally comedy, but it's also unintentionally comic as well. Mm. Um, and. I like to think of it as a piece of cultural history in its own right. Um, for anyone That's growing true. up in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, but Reynolds um, himself is a piece of cultural history. He is, and sadly, R.I.P. Yes, um, but but has endured long beyond the appeal of uh, Smoking the Bandit, I think. But which was, in many senses, very much a Burt Reynolds kind of vehicle. Yeah, touche. So it's the <laughs> briefly the um, the premise of this film. It's, it's, it's a fairly uh, undemanding plan to smuggle some lager in an 18-wheeler truck across state lines. Lager? Yes, and not even very good lager. I think it's cause in the film. Presumably to take it into a dry county uh, in the like neighbouring state. Like Garden Suburb. Yes, yeah. yes, you mentioned this. Now, I, I yeah. didn't know this about Hampstead Garden yeah, Suburb. Yeah, it's dry. No um, pubs. And this is because um, it's, it's, it's quite the, the Quaker Mafia yeah, in it, yeah. right? Yeah. You see, I never knew this. They might have had the right idea about housing and shelter, but they had yeah. totally the wrong idea about drinking. 
Anyway, the the point in this is, I think that possibly one that the Quakers would understand mm. is, is that drink drives you to a life of crime. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, it's it's a slightly pathetic low level crime. Yeah. Uh, smuggling weak booze <laughs> across state lines. But uh, nonetheless, it does involve Burt Reynolds, who is the bandit in the title, having to drive a Pontiac Firebird Trans Am, uh, which in the 80s was a very, very cool car. And on his way, he has to dodge various slightly overeager and inept lawmen who are the smoky of the title. Uh, you must be in a hell of a hurry, huh, Sheriff? Bet your ass on that boy. Oh, you double mess there. Let me, hmm? let me help you out here. Get that off of there. That's... Who are you chasing? Somebody chasing you? Nobody chasing me, boy. I've been chasing a goddamn maniac all the way from Texarkana, Texas. Really? Was he a bank robber? Bank robbing. Bank robbing his baby kid alongside of what this dude is doing. Almost killed funny law officer. Driving through people's backyard, knocking down mailboxes, got a broad in the car, took across the street line, got the man out. I don't think he's got a permission, and that's getting him. How's that behind this? <laughs> what a. Oh, let me pay for it. Let me pay for it. Mm, no, 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 you're an officer of the law. I'd, I'd, I'd be honored. Yeah, much obliged. Where's the can? I got to take the squirt. I'll ride back there. Just one. <laughs> So what's the film trying to say about driving and motoring? What is this film trying to say? Well, it, it's, it's that thing of, uh, we're getting back to the idea of driving and freedom, but it's, right. it's the freedom of the outdoor, resisting foolish laws that stop you drinking weak lager in certain yeah. states. But in, I think in the proud tradition of, of films from that era, the, the heroes are basically rednecks, with, with, whose disregard for the law has more to do with the fact that they're rednecks rather right. than they have a legitimate reason for now they're addicted to opioids <laughs> yeah for trump maybe so yeah so that outlaw thing because is... they're often they're usually portrayed as being you know the baddies in uh well sometimes yeah. but but the americans have always had this thing about the outlaw thing whether it's jesse james or anybody else all of these outlaw heroes uh were mythologized and then re-mythologized i think with the car in the 1970s okay with with, with the um re-mythologized in in film or, or in, in film, film yeah. in mostly in film sometimes in books but mostly in film yeah yeah so is that the idea of the ultimate individual yeah you know exactly you're not a government so it goes man. into it goes into 60s counterculture as well yeah but yeah. you are a pure individual yeah Okay, well that brings us nicely to Vanishing Point, oh. which I think we both have seen. Yes, we have. In some ways has a similar theme to Smoking the Bandit, although it's a very, very different film. Much more, for want of a best word, arty film, I suppose. Yes, it is, yeah. But it's one man behind the wheel of a car, defying authority by driving fast to evade mm. the police. Um, but he's delivering the car. He's delivering the car by driving it very fast, which, to my mind, as recipient of the yeah. uh, said delivered car, doesn't sound like a great thing. I'd, I'd hate for that to happen. Yeah, I, th I think I'd Forest rather he took his time. In the car. He's just terrible at his job, isn't he? It, it would seem so, because he drives it very fast on and off-road. Yeah. But what's interesting in the about desert, it, yeah. that by itself would not make for a particularly good movie. But what, what makes it stand out is that in this endeavour, he is both championed and helped out by okay. a blind radio DJ known as Super Soul, played by Cleavon Little, cool. um, who monitors police radio and then transmits this information to the driver who's known only as Kowalski mm. via his, his radio program. There goes the challenger being chased by the blue, blue meanies on wheels. The vicious traffic squad cars are after our known driver, the last American hero, the, the electric centaur, the demigod, the super driver of the Golden West. Two nasty Matsy cars are close behind the beautiful lone driver. The police numbers are getting closer, closer, closer to our soul hero in his soul mobile. Yeah, baby. They're about to strike. They're going to get him, smash him, rip. The last beautiful free soul on this planet. It also, bizarrely, features a naked woman on a motorcycle. See, I don't remember um, that at all. Yeah, I... I blanked it out. I kind of forgot about it until I um, started reading up on the film again. 
Um, and I can't help thinking it must have been the inspiration for Viz uh, Comics character Nude Motorcycle Girl, um, who was a who was a kind of superhero um, by virtue of the fact that she drives around on a nude motorcycle and uh, villains who are invariably male are somewhat distracted right. by her charms, and yeah, she's well, she's exactly. she's able to clobber them. Um, Once I realised that I I wasn't gonna win the lottery. And in my twenties, and you know, I was buying my first car. I was kind of fine with like just shit cars, as long as they went, I didn't mind. Whereas now, getting up to forty-five, I do actually want quite a nice-looking car, even if it's relatively, even if it's second-hand or whatever. And I think, yeah, because it's you know, because cars are associated with status, like clothes. But also personality, because you can yeah. have, I mean, for example, this is not an expensive car, nor was it when it was first made. So, as a status symbol, it's fairly useless. But I would be a liar if I didn't say part of the reason I like having it is because it looks quirky and good. And yeah, it looks good. I would, I would have thought <laughs> at the time it was quite expensive. And people do, kids especially, seem to really like it. Partly the colour, I think. Um, there's any number of men in late middle age who come up to you and say, oh, "I used to have one of these," and start talking about the engine specifications. Which yeah, is... but usually you're doing that about your uh, your new BMW um, 3 Series. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean. And then you're going and you're going about how uh, you know the A3 was murder. <laughs> yeah. So, so how luckily, did you get it? well, you get then, it? exactly. So you do that that classic sitcom thing of talking about uh, your driving and uh, and then looking down on someone who might still have an older an older version or maybe a Lexus. Right. Well, and you see, that's not the problem with this car because it's about the same age as me. Yeah. So no one's saying, no one's going to say to me, "Oh, are you still driving last year's model?" It's like, well, actually, <laughs> this is last yeah. century's model. Sure, we'll race. You damn right, we'll race. For pink. Pink slips? You mean for cars? Where to? You name it. Washington, D.C. After D.C., we'll go on down to Florida. I've got some nice beaches down there. Tell me about what happens in Tulane Blackstock. Well, it's got James Taylor as the driver. Dennis Wilson as the mechanic, the only film either starred in. Right. And Laurie Bird as the girl. And they meet Warren Oates, who is called GTO, because that's what he drives, and they decide to race to the East Coast. Whoever wins gets the other's car. It's a very sad and somber film, I think. And the girl is the only one who really has a life of her own. The other three characters are almost operated on by their machines rather than the other way around. But it's also like a hymn to car culture too, like Vanishing Point. It's very beautiful to look at. The cars are amazing. It's a film about maybe running out of fuel, existential dread. Right, okay. You know what I mean? Uh, and this is around the same time as Vanishing Point? Yeah, right? it's early 70s. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so it's not, not later than 73, I think before that. It has two sides of car culture, the romance and the terror of car culture. So, so what? explain to me again what, what makes it sad. I mean, these men... Are they not... these men have nothing else apart from their cars. Right. They've just got nothing. There's nothing going on. If you'll excuse the pun, they are kind of driven to be in their cars. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Because that's then, the only place they feel they belong? Or? Yeah, all three of the men in the film, including Warren Oates, are um, driven to something, driven to go to the other side of the States, whether it's east or west. In this film, it's to the east. And they don't quite know why. That's why they are basically... What they say, what what the script says, and it is in the script. What they say they are: the driver, the mechanic, mm. the GTO, and the girl. They're circumscribed they say, the girl by has... by what they do, where yeah. she's circumscribed by what she is, in a way. Yes, that's true. But she also has she has a life outside there. Yeah, she's not defined by what she does. 
but by who she is or who they think they are. But in this film, uh, that's actually a positive attribute rather than a negative one. Which right, because mostly is. they they need a, a sort of a vehicle or an attachment to a vehicle to complete them, where she's she's looking yeah. for something else to. Yeah, um, I think she just wants a ride. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> as far as I remember from the film. Uh, and she's quite into James Taylor. Okay. Uh, or, so there's a sort of romantic connection. Yeah, but. yeah, there's a bit, but the romance is barely touched upon because James Taylor and, and Dennis Wilson are just too into the two-lane blacktop. Right. That's all that, which is the road. That's all they're into. Yeah. It's a great title for me. It is a good say. title. It's a great title, yeah. A, a less good title, but I still think a good film, although I think maybe you differ slightly on this, uh, is Thelma and Louise. It's, it's kind of unique in some senses. Well, because it has women driving. Right, and and the, the female protagonist is sort of front and centre, which you do have in yeah. other road movies. But I think, but this is sort of long before there was a... Um, a kind of a real push to have more strong female characters in leading roles. I yeah. mean, it's basically... To be fair, that's only happened in the last three years. Right, but, <laughs> <laughs> but they are... Um, they they kind of eclipse everybody else in the movie, pretty much. I mean, there, there are yeah. some sort of um, pretty well-known actors. Brad Pitt's in this film, right? That's and, right. Uh, Michael Madsen, I think, yeah. who, who went on... You know what? I haven't seen the whole film. I've just seen bits of it. Okay. I don't know why I've only seen bits of it late at night. Um, I mean, in the ending. having said that, uh, you know they are both kind of. It is quite a stellar cast. You know, yeah. you've uh, got you've got uh, uh, Susan Sarandon and, and, Gina Davis. and Gene Davis. Yeah. What do you like and what do you not like about Thelma and Louise? Because it, it is a classic well, road movie. I, I, but you know, I, I, I don't feel qualified twist. to um, answer that question fully really because I as I say I haven't seen the film in full I've just seen bits of it I think I've seen the whole movie but in bits over several years right I just don't like the fact that they have to die Mm. I just find that annoying and I would find that annoying like I find it slightly annoying it's a bit like the old Hollywood code about if you transgress you must yeah yeah, well exactly it's like it's like there's all this stuff going on they're not taking any shit and then they have to die. They have well, they don't die, do they? They go on a magic cloud over the Grand Canyon. Yes, we don't see them die. Yeah, but uh, I think the implication just, is they probably do. It's just do. like obviously women femme fatales have had this more than men, but it also happens with men, as I say, in Vanishing Point and the other films. Mm. And it's just like, come on, they don't. You know, maybe they can make it up to Mexico. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. So okay. Defying authority essentially is not okay. Yeah, when it's, I think when I it's think, the Fed. Yeah, when I think the, that when really, the man says no. Yeah, when the man says no, you know, it's just it just doesn't sit well with me. I suppose also because it's so romanticised their death. I mean, it's much more romanticised than um, even uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah, because it's it, in a way it's a kind of glorious thing, and yeah. and fundamentally you just want them to slip away. Yeah, quietly, and as you say, end yeah. up in Mexico and just yeah, r- I don't know, run a beach cafe or something, and they um, open a nonsense pottery cafe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thelma and Louise are going to catch hell. I'll have a wild turkey straight up and a coke back, please. Thelma. Oh, what? Tell me something. Is this my vacation or isn't it? So moving on to a film, uh, which I think given what you just said about uh, Thelma and Louise, is refreshingly free of all of those kind of associations of good and bad, right and wrong. It's, right. It, it's in some senses good and evil, I suppose, but it's about a more kind of elemental struggle between good and evil, good and evil right? Um, which is dual. I'd like to report a truck driver that's been endangering my life. I guess the thing about this film is it's the ultimate driving paranoia film it's just like people who fear being on the roads this is this is the nightmare scenario for you uh the truck is like a vehicular version of an internet troll okay he just kind of keeps pushing and eventually does some sort of death or rape fact right yeah and that's that's kind of what the film is about um i do think that internet conversations and driving are very similar because you're in a bubble 
Yeah. And if someone cuts you up when you're driving, you think, oh, what a fucking wanker. Yeah, like that, it's an right? instant outrage. Yeah. It's an outrage, right? And if someone contradicts you on the internet, and maybe they might be slightly wrong in their facts, what you have to do is destroy them, dox them, hunt them down, set their house on fire, set their dogs and ponies on fire. Both of them are about bubbles, aren't they? Mm. They're about bubbles of how we are, you know, extensions of my house, of my life, um, extensions of what my political opinions may be. I I make no um, decision on people's political opinions. Yeah. But um, But I think... Right-wingers are wankers. I I kind of agree with you because... um, a large part of the tension in this film um, is the fact that this guy is essentially completely alone in the bubble yeah. that you've described. Even though he does interact with other, other people. He does, but they don't the believe him, do they? Um, yeah, I guess they don't yeah. believe him or they've just, they haven't witnessed it. So yeah. um, they, they don't understand That's why true. he's so terrified. The, uh, the truck um, driver is very canny. And they also can't really help him when, when you've got a yeah. sort of 18-wheeler bearing down on Yeah, him. I remember he smashes into something and Phone uh, poor old um, Dennis Weaver gets the transfer on his knee. Right, yeah. That's the, the last thing I would want. So it, there's a sense in which not only is it he alone in the car, but he's alone in his battle with this, this crazed uh, truck driver. Well, that's um, the thing, aren't we alone behind our uh, screens? Well, and that's, that's how we all end up, you know, when yeah. you're driving alone. Or even if you're driving with other people, uh, if you're the one driving, yeah. you end up in this uh, sort of state of rage sometimes, which yeah. is purely about your interaction with other drivers. Yeah. Other people in the car might look at you and, and go, what's yeah. the problem? Why are you getting so yeah. annoyed? Michelle has if, often asked me to slow down after we've been overtaken by a wanker. Right, okay. Yeah. But then presumably the positions are reversed. It, it might be a different story. I don't know. What, that I'm the wanker? No, that, that if... Uh, the person who is saying slow down, calm down is yeah. then in the driving seat mm. they turn into the one who is raging against the other to anchors be, on the to road be honest, whenever uh, Michelle has been overtaken or cut up by someone she's been slightly annoyed and right. then just dealt with it Okay. Yeah. whereas for me it takes around five days to totally calm down ok so maybe it's just us then. <laughs> yeah <laughs> ok Let's talk about Weekend. It's about the hell of consumer culture, really, and the, the supposed freedom of car ownership and the supposed freedom of being determined to get where you want. Oh, we've got to go where we want. And so consequences are... And in a weekend as well, which is... Exactly, short, short within time. a weekend. And the consequences are this mania of capitalist catastrophe. That idea of driving where you want doing what you want, that, that sort of hyper-individuality that uh, uh, America is the sort of very epitome of, yeah, um, and, and which is highly seductive. There, there's sort of kind of literary parallels um, to this as well, I think. First of all, Kerouac and maybe Bowers. Right. And I'm going to do some pastiches of that. Okay. There was nothing but to go out, out, out out across East London to see what we could find. We blew through the useless docks of home onto the old dirty Ratcliffe, a one-time highway crammed with carousing, killing taverns, spilling out whole bunches of doggermen fighting and women laughing at their misery. Now just an arterial pumping traffic 24 hours. So we hooked left into Shadwell. Its Bengali boys roared down cable in their murdered cars. Windows blacked, bodywork matte, Chassis lowered by cousins in some railway arch and screw the speed bumps. Old men slow walk to the pavement in their shalwar kameez, hands behind their back, discussing Pooh Bear, while their grandkids got up some speed on pink tricycles and yellow scooters. Up at the George Crossroads, two women, eyes of steel, were arguing past their niqabs, throwing their arms around at each other like crazy. Above us all was a low, thick evening, the clouds turning a sour orange, lit by 10,000 street lamps. I hung out the window and called to the women that it was all right. It wasn't so bad, that life was a sad, sad thing. Sure it was, but there were women and children and men. And come with us and see what we could find. 
The lights changed and a long jubilee. Gav sang, your mother lives in Stepney, not in Knightsbridge anymore. It was a sweet high voice he had and we slowed to watch the sheep sticking out their woolly heads at the city farm fences, chewing, always chewing, whether they got it in the neck or were saved, before we left them behind for Marl End, a bad place desolated by the ghosts of old Victorian Jews, and drove on till we reached at last the forest by the city limits, where the clouds lifted to show us a few still powerful stars burning. Did they burn with love or spite? We couldn't say. Gav handed me his flask and told me about a girl he knew in Billericay, Martha. She had a roommate, he said, some apple pie and ice cream. And he turned the wheel around and we went straight out east. And my second one is Ballard. Right. We entered Woolwich. Everything was rushing to transform into something else. New things were rising, buildings that resembled the past, but without decoration, a new filmy sophistication. The square was still dead, surrounded now by lookout balconies priced at 500k apiece, at least, Bradshaw said. Buses were steamed up with commuters, their faces pinned against the window like a parade of what comes after. All this action was rising up to go home. We went slow by an ambulance whipping its blue lights across the square, all the cars nicely penitent. We pulled over. Someone, an old maid, holding Iceland freezer bags, had been caught in the grill of Alexis. Her legs were gone under it. The rest was grabbing at the glittering tarmac, blue, black and red. We parked up on the pavement, got out and watched. People were watching from the street and from the balconies. Bradshaw passed me a cigarette and said, Look at her legs, she won't be walking. And then he said, I know this guy who crashes XR3Is into Renault 4s on a forgotten byway near the ferry. 4am, Sunday nights, invitation only. Okay. Should we talk briefly about the history of Major? Yes, we shall. Um, because uh, I'd like yeah. to give the impression that we've done uh, at least a, the basic amount of research mm. on cars and motoring. Well, um, I've done quite a lot of research on this from Wikipedia. Right. Okay. Now, Carl Benz, research uh, of Mercedes Benz. Yeah. He invented the first car as we know it today. Right. Proper combustion engine. He, he patented the uh, first engine, is that he right? He did. And um, uh, he, he painted the first engine in 1879. Wow. That's a long time ago. It really is. And 1886, he produced the first modern car. Which his wife drove, I which understand. It, yeah, exactly, to prove that it wouldn't blow up. Okay. Now, now was this an early example of um, a, a sort of relationship that has true equality, or was it just more that like he hated his wife and? No, I tell you what, it was like it was the first example of like. Do you remember Chris Hume and his wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and he said that she, she was, was driving the car. <laughs> exactly. That's so what basically happened. when the car blew up, he was like, "Oh yes, yeah, yeah." That was oh, better. it must be the, the lady. The lady blew the car up. Um, Being serious, I think she was his business partner, wasn't she? she? Was, and she was yeah. also an engineer, I think, too. Which is oh really? Um, I'm going to get shot down this for this, but um, in 1886 is quite impressive, I think. I think it's amazing. Um, possibly a mark of her. Uh, Maybe I don't know, or just I'm she, sure it is. But perhaps Bertha Benz was just a very, very uh, driven, single-minded, taking no uh, rubbish kind of yeah. woman. Um, I imagine laundry washes and white travel in 1886 probably didn't have quite the opportunities that no, Mrs. No. Benz had. But uh, I, I've been doing some extensive research via um, the fount of all knowledge as well, and. Okay. Um, Apparently, she uh, is credited with inventing brake pads, which... Um, no way, really? I would have thought if you're going to invent a car, inventing brake pads would be one of the uh, early things that you would uh, invent. No, but, not um, really. Because uh, when you think about it, have you ever made a go-kart? True. No yes. brakes? Yes, true. No brakes. It's your feet, basically. Your exactly. feet are the brake pads. Um, and, and she ironed out a lot of the other sort of engineering problems with, with um, the first vehicle that um, the Benzes put together. Um, so this was this was the first petrol engine car we're talking about here. What about electric cars? Well, according to my notes that you've written down for me, 
the notes in my head. The electric engine was invented a couple of years later, so this is um, 1881, uh -huh. and only now we're starting really to think seriously about electric cars. It's ridiculous. That does seem crazy, doesn't it? Um, given that um, electricity, I would guess, was discovered before yeah. internal combustion. Uh, I, a, think, I think it's an Edison thing, isn't it? It's an Edison-Tesla thing, isn't it? It's right. basically shout out the competition. Yeah. A VHS Betamax. Okay, so it's all a question of marketing, really. Yeah. Rather than utility. Exactly. So we could have been driving electric cars from, from the off. That would have been amazing, wouldn't it? I guess it would have been. Uh, would we enjoy driving them as much now? Um, if they'd always been electric? Well, maybe not. There wouldn't be that macho car culture that has infected everything in film and TV and all the rest of it. This being the, the history part of the mm. uh, podcast, we obviously have to think about um, future history, if mm. such a thing exists. Future history? Yeah. Yeah, I majored in that. <laughs> did you? Yeah, I did, yeah. What, they're doing degrees in this now? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Next 50 years, all cars probably electric. Are, are we even um, going to drive anymore? Yeah. I don't know whether we're going to drive anymore, to be honest. Because the way things are going is that the history of catechism... Let me give you uh, a, an appreciation of the history of catechism. I'm listening next. with rapt attention. Um, well, first of all, it was all about individualism. Now, maybe to save the planet, maybe not. But it's all about being part of a unit and being part of a community, mm. right? Whether that's social media or stuff. And the Chinese have shown the way with their stuff that's happening in Western China with those uh, Muslim Chinese. Oh, the, the Uyghurs. Yeah. So I think the idea is that individualism in terms of capitalist economy is going to fade away. Right. Apart from very, very rich people who will always be seen as incredible minds and wealth creators. Okay. There will be self-driving cars. Uh, some people say that self-driving cars already exist. They're known as trains. <laughs> I'm sure that um, everywhere will be at 20 mile an hour zone uh, by the year. Uh, where are we I now? think what's going to change is that transport is all about getting somewhere rather than the journey. Yeah, yeah. And the journey, whether it's by train or by plane or by boat, that's going to go. And then also particularly cars, obviously. HS2 is basically, how can I get to London 20 minutes quicker mm. than currently? 20 minutes is a, is a long time if you're waiting on a train. <coughs> well, it's well, not a long doing, time when, you're, when it's already a three-hour train. When you're wrecking economies through micro-speed micro trading sure, yeah. and quantum trading... <laughs> then obviously 20 minutes is a, it's a lifetime. You it? can do a lot of asset stripping in 20 minutes. Exactly. Let me tell you. I certainly um, have. The other thing that concerns me about the rise of the electric car and uh, the self-driving vehicle is uh, the greater prominence it gives to Elon Musk, who I, I think has probably more than enough prominence in the yeah. already. Boring bonehead questions are not cool. Next. Do, do we think that's his real name? No, well, I think it is. Okay. Unfortunately, I think it is. But he sounds like Hugo Drax from Moonraker. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess if he's... it was a stage name, you'd come up with a better yeah, name. Yeah, Elon like... Musk. I mean, who's going to do that? It sounds like a porn name. <laughs> it does. It's like it? Elon Musk. It's like, oh, I've come here to make your vehicles more electric and have sexy time. Right. Mm. You remember those While sexy girls in mask. the 80s videos? Well, now... They all drive electric, thanks to me. Thanks to me. He's also got a, um, a mini submarine, which makes him like a shit bomb villain. <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah. There's always, you always know when you're in a bad Bond film, when there's, a, at one point, there's a mini submarine that's attacking Bond. Sure. Yeah. But that has to be winched, winched off the uh, villain's base with uh, a, a crane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rather than having some kind of shoot. That's exactly like Exactly. You feel a bond base. You need a special shoot for you. Exactly. Uh, no, they submarine. still they still like the crane. They it's, still like the crane method. It's starting to sound like a euphemism, but uh, yeah, um, the crane method. Yeah, <laughs> we've we'll, we'll, we'll all used that method. Anyway, even okay. So even assuming that I was uh, the kind of person who needed my own uh, private mini submarine, mm -hmm. I'm not. Sh 
I like to think I'd develop a skin that was thick enough to resist someone insulting my stupid mini submarine. Um, you should get the Ford Model T or something. <laughs> if I could find one, they're probably worth an awful worth, lot. Yeah, they probably are. Right, you this can get out. Thanks for listening to Call in the Night Boys. Today you heard excerpts from the films and music She Devils on Wheels by Herschel Gordon Lewis, Driving South by Jimmy Andrews, Road Song by Meredith Monk, Missile by Dorothy, A Passenger by Iggy Pop, Roman's Revenge by Angel Hayes, Party of Special Things to Do by Captain Beefheart, Glitterbust by Roll Truck, Fun 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 by The Beach Boys, Life in the Fast Lane by The Eagles, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill by Russ Meyer, Christine by John Carpenter, Smoking the Bandit by Hal Needham, Vanishing Point by Richard C. Serafian, Two Lane Blacktop by Monty Hellman, Thelma and Louise by Ridley Scott, Jewel by Steven Spielberg, Weekend by Jean-Luc Godard, Kim by Charlie Parker, Flow by Philip Glass, Moonraker Disco Version by John Barry, and Drive My Car by The Beatles. Please legally stream or download or buy on physical copy, use movies and music, uh, and we'll see you next time. Hey, I love you.